Stay hungry, stay foolish. Despite decades of research illustrating the benefits of enlightened leadership, the high-performance workplace is still not the norm. Our guest has spent 20 years investigating this paradox, and in this book, she forms a penetrating critique of why such strong evidence has had limited impact and provides an alternative practical approach that any employer can implement to overcome these challenges. She shows that there is a clear correlation between the companies that are good companies and those that do well, with good meaning an organization that works with stakeholders, employees, society, and customers. While a bad company can do well, its success isn't sustainable. Her book explores the steps needed to be taken to become a good organization with long-term sustainable results. She brings together management wisdom and shows how successful leaders have moved their organizations from controlled and orderly to enthusiastic and collaborative. Supported by insights from the world's leading thinkers and practitioners in the field, the book will guide readers through the arguments for a radical reassessment of current business models and the successful stories of employers from the private and public sectors who have made the transition. We welcome author of Humane Capital, How to Create a Management Shift to Transform Performance and Profit, Vlatka Lupic. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Aidan. I'm delighted to be here. We've so much to get through. There's so much in this book because it compounds on your previous books, as particular your book, The Management Shift. But let's start with one of your opening statements from the preface. And it's that anyone can create ripples to make workplaces more humane, engaging and fulfilling while becoming more productive and profitable. A great opening statement. And this is something that I have been preaching a lot, and especially recently in this whole situation, just helping people to remind themselves they all have this power inside themselves. They, they can all make a difference. It could be a, just one conversation, one email, one blog. Anyone can start creating those ripples that can go widely. And one of the interviewees for my book, Humane Capital, was Celine Schillinger. And that is a wonderful example how one uh, small action can take everyone to some huge impacts and create big ripples. And that is also shown by complexity theory, which tells us that a small small action can lead to big impact. So, so just to share a little bit about this particular example, Celine was working at a pharmaceutical company and then she realized that she kind of reached a glass ceiling as a woman and the executive board was all white men, middle-aged men of certain background. There was no diversity at all. So she wrote a very, very brief email to CEO saying, Dear CEO, this executive board is not diverse enough, but our customers are diverse. And initially, CEO hasn't replied, but she sent an email to a colleague and then it went viral. Then everybody started talking about it. They started some forums and they started social media platform. And eventually, CEO had to respond as some changes were initiated. She formed a whole movement, uh, which on Facebook had over 250,000 followers six months later. 
she created a, a new job for herself and she got an OB from French president, etc., etc. So I'm sharing this example to show that everyone has this power to create ripples, to make a difference. And we should never forget that, how powerful we are. And we need to take a small action and then there might be a big impact rippling out from that. Yeah, and all those ripples add up to become a wave and the wave can become something really important. And I, I love this about your work and I love that you, behind this book in particular, you went after something that you were going after for such a long time, which was to interview almost 60 inspirational leaders who exhibit what you call level four leadership. It would be great if you'd share the context of these interviews and then we can perhaps go through the levels themselves before moving on to some examples. Perhaps I should start uh, explaining the context by saying a little bit more about my seminal work, my life's work, which is published in the Management Shift book. The Management Shift book is my life's work, which combines over 25 years of my interdisciplinary research. I started my career as a computer scientist, and then about 15 years ago, I decided to become a behavioral scientist because I wanted to work with people, for people, change leaders, change cultures. Um, but because I studied lots of different disciplines from economics, psychology, neuroscience, computer science, uh, OB and so on, I was able to connect the dots from different disciplines and create the management shift uh, models, theories and associated tools, which are all very practical. One of my favorite quotes is from Sekiro Honda. He said, action without philosophy is a lethal weapon. Philosophy without action is worthless. And this is what has been guiding, uh, guiding my professional work. So I always wanted to create models, theories, tools that can be applied in practice to make a difference for the world, for the leaders, for organizations. I have to say that this work is my life purpose and I have been on a mission to make this world a better place for a very long time. So I created the management shift approach and, and the, the key theory is the five-level model, which shows that there are five levels that individuals go through and there is a corresponding organizational culture at each of those levels. And every level is characterized by specific thinking patterns, the words and language used, the energy, emotions, leadership behavior, and organizational outcomes. We can't skip the levels, but we can only go uh, higher one level at a time, but we can have pockets of different levels within the same organization. So perhaps I can take you very briefly through those levels, and then I will explain the context for the Humane Capital book, if that's all right. Absolutely, please do. So at level one, the life, uh, the, the mindset is lifeless and culture is apathetic and, and not much gets done. People are too depressed to do anything. There's lots of fear and blame, sadness. Uh, and sometimes we see level one. Uh, uh, sadly, at the beginning of this pandemic, we had this polarization towards level one and towards level five as well. So, so we have this dichotomy. So basically level one, um, people are too depressed, not much gets done. At level two, the mindset is reluctant, culture is stagnating. At that level, 
people do a minimum they can get away with just to get their paycheck. So they bring their body to work, but their heart and mind stay at home. So they go out for long lunch breaks, they sneak out for the workout, but they would do anything apart from working and focusing on work. Level three, control mindset, orderly culture. This is traditional command and control. We tick the boxes, we are micromanaged, we achieve KPIs, but we don't unleash high levels of productivity, engagement, passion for work and profit. So levels one, two, three, this is traditional management, leadership. This is where a majority of organizations have been so far. And that's why we see this uh, study after study, survey after survey, low levels of engagement, less than 20% of people are fully, fully engaged, low levels of purpose, passion for work, productivity, and so on. And then we need to go through what I call the management shift or the big shift. So we need to move from level three to level four. At level four, the mindset is enthusiastic, culture is collaborative. And the key words are trust, transparency, purpose, collaboration, having fun working, giving back to the society, taking care of the environment. So it's all about teamwork, collaboration, communities, passion for work and so on. Once leaders, a critical mass of employees, shift to level four, everything changes. So innovation, productivity, engagement, profit, everything goes up substantially, in some cases 100% within the year. Occasionally, we can reach level five with limitless mindset and unbounded culture. At level five, we work day and night on some amazing innovations for humanity. We want to change the world. We are driven by love for humanity and by achieving impossible, what was thought to be impossible to achieve. So we work on big problems such as pandemic, climate, uh, pollution, hunger, and so on. So the objective is to be at level four, occasionally reach level five. We can't be at level five all the time. We would just burn out. So we need to be at level four. Once we are there, we can temporarily slip down if we go through some difficulties uh, to lower levels, but we bounce back quickly and easily to this level four, and then occasionally we go to level five. So this is the essence of the management shift approach. And I launched this book, Houses of Parliament, in 2014, and my whole life changed. I started my consulting and training business. I went part-time as a professor at university, and I've been speaking everywhere, doing endless keynote talks, traveling. But in the following year, my big birthday was approaching, and I have been thinking, what shall I do uh, to mark this occasion? Uh, Running a marathon or climbing Mount Everest is not for me. I don't even like glamping, let alone camping. And I thought, I would have loved to go on Strictly Come Dancing show. But I thought, chances are producers will skip me again. And they did, of course. So I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if I interview 50 inspirational leaders about their own mindset and strategies, about this big shift from level three to level four. And this is what I did. So I interviewed 50 leaders. But I enjoyed the process so much that I couldn't stop. So I carried on. (laughs) So I kept going. And then eventually I stopped around at around 58 leaders. And then I wrote this book, Humane Capital. So 
the bread and butter of my work is the management shift and I have a huge number of tools and assessment tools and, and, and toolkits and, and app and, and different programs all around the management shift. But human capital is like the icing on the cake. I brought to life the management shift with human capital where I captured all these case studies and stories and the mindset of those leaders that have went through this big shift or have have been helping others to go through this big shift. So this is a long background to humane capital. But it's so important. I think, you know, when I looked at the two books, the management shift is almost like the outline and then humane capital brings it to life, really, really does. And it's so important, something you said there, which is the lower levels. So those lower level organizations, there are so many of them. And I'm fearful that this, whatever we're entering into this period of evolution from a business perspective, that if there's a downturn in some way, that it's we're going to go a little bit backwards. And you mentioned a Deloitte report that highlighted that only 12% of workers were engaged. 88% of people go to work disengaged every single day. But it's a, such a huge part of our realities, of our lives, the workplace. But you also mentioned that there was some hope because there was a recent Gallup report that showed there was an uptick in employee engagement as well. Well, we know how engagement is important um, because we want to create engaging, purposeful, happy workplaces because then we have happy, engaged employees uh, who don't just have a better life because um, we know how much time we spend working, who also have healthier life because we know uh, that our detrimental effects of bad management and leadership that lead not just to disengagement, but really to various chronic illnesses, even deaths in some cases, we know that from research uh, done by Professor Jeffrey Pfeffer from Stanford, published in his book, Dying for a Paycheck, showing, for example, that in China alone, about 1 million people die per year because of stress related to, to, uh, to work, to bad management, to bad leadership. So, so bad management and leadership kills people. It not, it not, it's not that it just creates uh, disengaged work workplaces as well. So it's hugely important. But at the end of the day, we also know that a 1% increase in engagement will lead to 0.5% increase uh, in profit. So this is something that's uh, important uh, to consider as well. And this was research published in Harvard Business Review a few years ago. So we have a business case for creating engaging happy, purposeful workplaces, but we have a, even more importantly, a human case for that because we don't want people getting sick or, or even die. Or even in the case of French telecom company, we saw in news re uh, recently, um, some months ago, that, for, uh, that the executives were sued because they created a deliberate culture of fear, which led to uh, 19 suicides and 12 attempted suicides in that organization. And they were charged with that, so they're in prison. So it's, it's a hugely important topic. And coming back to your comment that perhaps we are sliding down, I would say yes and no. I think because of the current situation, we are seeing a polarization. So those people that focus their mindset, their thinking patterns, their, their, their language around the fear and the blame and 
uh, worry, uh, which is all around level one, level two, um, they they will operate in in one world. But there are also people focusing more on love, unity, compassion, gratitude, coming together, working together for higher purpose. They are uh, pol- polarizing around levels four and five, and those people will help to co-create a better new world, a better new reality for not just for organizations, for themselves, but for the the whole society, because we know how these ripples spread. Uh, So when leaders, a critical mass of employees are around level four, that will spread to their their teams uh, and then eventually to entire organizations because with our mirror neuron brain cells, we pick up the moods and emotions of people around us. We are like neural Wi-Fi's. So the better it gets, the better it gets. So when we have people at higher levels, they will, they will spread us a, a, a higher energy and thinking patterns and, and this more humanized behavior in their organization and when we have a critical mass of organizations the whole society shifts to higher level so my hope is and 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 firm belief is that uh, those who choose to polarize around levels four and five and really create humane organizations with humane leadership will help to create this this new world where level four and five become new normal and in fact I've been preaching this for many, many years. I would say more than 15 years. But only recently, many people started to contact me saying, whatever you have been preaching all these years, it's going to have to become new normal. In order to survive and thrive, companies and leaders will have to operate at those levels. They will have to to be more humane. And I've created various new masterclasses, which I will launch uh, quite soon, um, to really help people and leaders and organizations to navigate through this and to indeed become more humanized, um, anchored around level four and five, and, and help to drive this, what I call the humane recovery. You mentioned there about the competitive advantage it gives, but also the bottom line uptick that you get from it. But there's a really important part of your work that you mentioned, and you give the example of BCG, Boston Consulting Group, that we have millennials in the workplace, but we also have five other generations in the workplace as well. And we've up and coming generations coming into workplace. And for those younger generations, connectedness and collaboration and teamwork are very important. And Boston Consulting Group, you mentioned, change their work practices in order to accommodate their need for meaning in the workplace. Yes, this is hugely important because we have these uh, different generations within the same workplace. And although I don't like to stereotype, but we show study after uh, we can see study after study that uh, a younger generation, they have to be treated a bit like knowledge workers who also ignore hierarchy, they they search for meaning and purpose. A younger generation, they want uh, meaning, they don't want to be micromanaged, they want continuous feedback, and they are mobile, so they will just hop from one job to another, and, and knowledge workers are more mobile, so they will leave. If, if they're micromanaged from level three, they will just go somewhere else, and I have seen this in so many examples in various companies I worked with as well, that the pay is not the main motivator, but the culture and, and the leadership style and the way the people are treated is more important. 
And I can also share example of, of some of the answers I obtained from my interviewees when I ask them, what is the value? What is the price tag of this big shift from level three to level four? And they all give me some, some amazing answers from it's, it's magic. There is no, there is no price for magic. It's, it's limitless. It's priceless, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they gave me also some quantitative data saying like it adds 10% to the value of a company. It adds 15 to 25% of the turnover. It adds extra millions or billions of pounds or dollars or euros for an organization. At the same time, they gave me those qualitative human benefits saying it's the difference between life and death. So many of them told me we would not be around anymore if we did not go through this shift some years ago. And they also said it's a difference between a mere existence and true happiness. And that is priceless. Love that. And you reminded me, I had this beautiful moment at the weekend where I, my sons are 10 and 7. And my 10-year-old son, I was telling him how what we give out in the universe, we get back. So, for example, energy or if we're angry, more anger will come back to us, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And he's big into science and he reads a lot about science, et cetera, and particularly bats because he likes Batman. And he, he said, it's like echolocation on a bat. A bat sends out a signal and then can read the environment about it. And I went, that is a brilliant analogy for how an organization works, because you mentioned there mirror neurons and mirror neurons is also the same for the energy we give out because Apart from the competitive advantage, apart from the bottom line, apart from attracting more talent, the workplace becomes a better environment to work in if it's going to be such an integral part of our lives. Absolutely. And and if you look into the science, there is so much more behind all that. So we, we know from neuroscience how the mirror neuron brain cells work, but we also know from quantum mechanics um, how our thoughts even create energy, which then ripples out. So... So and, and and the example you shared with your son is is wonderful and we, we can see how, how wise the young generation is and I, I myself I have two children and, and this is one of the drivers that I've been passionately working for for a long time, trying to create workplaces which will be more humanized for that young generation, especially when you read about detrimental effects of old uh, management styles which are so dehumanizing. We we need to create organizations which are much more humane for the young generation and, and for other generations as well. Every human is so precious and we spend so much time working. So we don't want to be suppressed. We don't want to be controlled. We want to unleash our, our power as human beings and, and create companies that do well and that they're good at the same time. And this is what, what we want to do with our lives as well, to have this meaning and purpose and do well and do good as well and, and create legacy for the young generations. We'll bring this to life in a few moments with the Innovation Norway case study, which is just fantastic. But before we do, I thought it was worth mentioning the importance of your work about neurodiversity and also minimizing groupthink and diversity itself within organizations. Because oftentimes when people talk about diversity, they're thinking about, you know, male or female or color or race, etc. But it's not just about that. It's about 
the effects of those different minds in the organization and how it can minimize risk, how we can find new opportunities, etc. I'd love your thoughts on this. Yes, I think this is important. Of course, we need diversity in terms of gender and ethical uh, backgrounds and age and so on. But the neurodiversity is hugely important because what happens if you have a team of accountants working together or team of engineers or pharmacists working together? They will all speak the same language. And this is something I learned for the first time when I had uh, quite a few conversations with my late friend, um, Eric Ekus who wrote Living Organization book well ahead of its time. And so we had these discussions how language is powerful and we need this, we, we need this diversity in language and thinking patterns and an energy which comes from these different diversities. But if you have people coming from the same background, the same profession, they will speak the same language and you will not have this richness, that neurodiversity, which will then lead to innovation, to creativity. Only once you're stretched outside your comfort zone and you start thinking outside the box, you can achieve some breakthroughs and in creativity and innovation. And I feel this is going to be especially important now in this new world we are co-creating. I feel we are entering a new renaissance era where we will see new innovations uh, and new scientific discoveries and new art new music, new new everything, uh, all the par- paradigms questioned and rebuilt with, with new insights, new understanding, which can only come from this neurodiversity, interdisciplinary thinking. And this is what has been driving my work. Some, some people describe me as polymath as well, because I always try to, to read widely, to study different disciplines and then connect the dots and this is what I did for the management work as well. So, so once we are able to see this big picture, to have this helicopter view, to, to connect the dots, then we can indeed be in this very, very creative space, which is so important now. Uh, let's stay on that because the language we use informs our thinking and also storytelling, etc., informs our thoughts. Our thoughts then inform our habits and our habits become our reality when they're added up, like you say, with the ripples. And you mentioned the importance of language in both the language you talk about, about the different levels, but also, as we'll talk about in a few moments, in Innovation Norway, because oftentimes if you come into an organization, particularly a legacy one, and you're using words like innovation or you're using words like transformation, you're often met with suspicion if you're met at all, because people will reject you because of the language that you use. Absolutely. Um, a number of people told me that with the management shift framework, I have created a language for understanding um, complex issues in a simple way. So I codified the language at each of the five levels as well. So what is happening and, and what are the thinking patterns and the language used at each of those levels. But we also have to understand that we can only comprehend the language and thinking patterns at the uh, of the highest level of consciousness where we are anchored. So these five levels of mindset are also five levels of consciousness, depends how we want to look at that. So if people are stuck at level two or level three, and then if enlightened leaders leader comes to that organization who thinks from level four or five and starts using the level four or five language from 
empowerment, transformation, enlightenment, and communi communication, collaboration, and, and care and compassion, all these wonderful words, uh, some people may just feel threatened. They, they, it, it will be a, a strange them. And we know when we are facing change, the part of our brain which uh, relates to stress and anxiety just lit up. So it's very important to create this awareness of these higher levels. So the analogy I tend to use to describe this is if somebody is, is firmly stuck at level three, it's like having the brick wall right in front of their eyes. And once they get the awareness and of the possibilities of levels four and five, it's like creating the crack in the wall so the light comes through. So the bigger these cracks are, the, the, the more people are going towards this big shift towards level four. And the whole process works like, like this. So people need to get the awareness that they are, for example, at level three. Then they consciously have to start letting go of language, thinking patterns, energy, behavior at level three. Then they consciously have to adopt thinking patterns, language, behavior of level four. And after some time, new neural connections will be created. And level four thinking, behaving, speaking will become new normal. It will become subconscious competence. So this is how this big shift works. So with that, let's jump to that case study I mentioned. I love this. Let's jump to a country that has made huge leaps in gender equality. The first case study, if we have time, we'll cover more, but we'll cover today is Innovation Norway. And many of our listeners work in the public sector, which I've done myself. And we know that bureaucracy is the norm in the public sector organizations. Bureaucracy literally means ruled by desk. For those who don't know, the larger these organizations become, the more complicated they become. However, I empathize massively with the change makers in these organizations because there's a huge overhang from the scale of the debt and the psychological impact of the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, because the public expenditure got tightened all over the world and we entered a period of austerity. And I don't know if we've still come out of that. But one of the results is risk-taking and innovation becomes very, very difficult in public sectors. And I see this a lot in banks too, Vladka. I don't know if you see this because oftentimes change makers come into banks only to become frustrated, like you said, maybe they're coming from a level five uh, position or level four, and they get frustrated with the status quo within the bank. But oftentimes, the status quo is justified because they're so risk averse, they're so fearful. But let's share how one public sector organization was able to cede a measure of control and allow their people to self-organize for spectacular results. It's a wonderful story. So I met the former CEO of Innovation Norway, Anita Kron-Trasset, at a launch of her book in London, just as I was finishing the manuscript for the Management Shift book. So the book was not even published, but I met her and uh, she just finished her job as um, CEO of Hewlett-Packard in Norway. And she told me about this new new job as we were talking. And I said, oh, I've just finished a book which you might find useful. And I sent her a PDF copy of it. It wasn't even properly edited at the time. But she took the book and she, she started that new job at Innovation Norway a week later after we met. 
and she, we exchanged some email communication and she just loved the book and she said you created a language you created a framework and she said I'm going to use your book to transform innovation Norway and this is exactly what she did and it took her over a year to do that um, I do have uh, a more detailed information about the whole process than what is in in the book as as, as one of the many case studies I've recently published an article um, as well in one of the journals where I provide a bit more details about what she did. But basically, she she really took a mission to shift innovation Norway from level three to level four as soon as she could. And this is what she did. She wrote uh, weekly emails every Friday to everyone about what she has been doing. It was completely transparent. She organized over 80 events with, with thousands of people. Uh, she had lots of one-to-one meetings with, with various stakeholders to really understand what is going on. And everything was transparent. She put her work contract on the internet uh, so people could see even what her salary was. So she was really, really open, transparent, had a very clear vision, a drive, communication. And she's a, a textbook perfect example of a CEO that can drive this big shift from level three to level four. So she achieved that goal and the results were astonishing. For example, they managed to reduce a time that it takes to process grants for startups from entrepreneurs from 60 to four days. They reduce stress and absenteeism. They increase productivity. They, uh, the people who use their services, those entrepreneurs, they increase their revenues by about 10% or so, et cetera, et cetera. So there are lots of data points showing amazing, amazing effects, amazing ripples that Anita created by shifting level, uh, the, the innovation over from level three to level four. I think especially now with everything going on in the world, with so many uh, public sector organizations operating at lower levels, I think it is crucial to, to reset many organizations and to go through this journey and shift to level four, and then everybody will win. And you mentioned here that this was one of those organizations that was kind of a legacy organization. And when Anita came in and started using new language, and people were empowering, for example, even younger people. So managers, instead of telling them what to do, which was the norm, started saying, well, you figure it out. Those kind of changes are approached with suspicion because they feel like they're being set up in some way. I'd love your thoughts on this because I'm sure this has happened where perhaps somebody got hired into a legacy organization or a public or a sector organization, tried to bring in a new way of doing things, got greeted with suspicion and then just leave themselves? Yes, I think it starts with awareness and the trust. So awareness and, and first of all, uh, building this trust and transparency uh, and then creating awareness how everybody will benefit uh, when the whole organization shifts from level three to level four. But also it has to start with the leader and then we do this shift from top down and the bottom up at the same time. So it's about creating this awareness and then uh, step by step creating those ripples. So when people are told, well, you figure it out, it, it's really about empowering people, giving them responsibilities instead of tasks. 
So giving tasks, that is micromanagement, that is level three, giving people responsibilities and trusting that they know how to do their work well, that is level four. And one point I want to make is that with this pandemic, I think we are accelerated towards level four because people work from home. They can't be micromanaged, so they have to be trusted and empowered to do their work when and where they want to do it and just show the results. And I am hearing uh, story after story in the last few months how productivity went up and people are juggling family responsibilities and work in, in a better way. And about 60 to 70% uh, of people in various surveys, they want to keep working from home for various reasons. So it's really about the, the awareness, the empowerment, the trust. And, uh, and I feel, especially with, with new working trends accelerated by this pandemic, level four working will become a new normal in, in the near future. The book is full of these magnificent case studies like Innovation Norway. There's public sector ones, there are private sector ones. We mentioned Sanofi Pasteur at the top of the show. But I wanted to cover the fantastic eight pillars of humane capital. You tell us for the management shift to happen, firms must focus on these eight factors. I'd love if you give us a bit of a background on them and then maybe a top level of all eight. Well, when I created the management shift research project and I interviewed all these uh, um, leaders, I, I got a huge amount of data. So there was over 272,000 words of transcripts from all the interviews, which are all transcribed and transcribed. And I read everything several times. It was not easy to decide what is going to go in the book. The book is the tip of the iceberg. I could only uh, include a, a small amount of, of data in the book, given the richness of data I collected through this project. So I, I did manual analysis of, of the data, first of all, and I, I uh, picked up uh, 200 strategies, 50 per sector, public sector, you mentioned private se corporates, uh, SMEs and nonprofit sector. But then we also did uh, computer analysis uh, using NVivo software of all the transcripts. Um, and then um, we discovered some of the key patterns of data uh, with, uh, with actually with language that was used by interviewees. And uh, that has resulted in, in key patterns uh, key outcomes, uh, which are pulled together in the eight pillars model of humane capital. So there's, these are the eight key areas that organizations need to develop in order to become more humane, to leverage humane capital, and to shift to level four as well. I do have another tool, which is the six-box leadership diagnostic tool, which is part of the management shift research, which I have been using over 10 years with dozens of organizations worldwide to help them to shift from level three to level four. But the eight pillars gives another view, another lens, another dimension that organizations also uh, need to focus on. But when I analyze all this data, I use the key um, key constructs from the six box leadership uh, model as well. So this is all linked and it's all interconnected. So coming back to the eight key pillars, so the eight key areas, and I will mention them um, 
uh, in the order as they came up from from this research, the majority of interviewees said that one of the key pillars is the mindset. So level four mindset is the key driver for the big shift, for leveraging human capital. So it's important to have level four mindset, not just for leaders, but also employees. We need a critical mass of employees to be at level four. And then the whole organization uh, will will operate from from level four. It will be more humane. Another uh, another pillar is motivation and, and engagement. We talked about engagement at the beginning of the interview, how important it is. And it's also about combining and, and balancing head and heart, um, using purpose, a drive, uh, even, even love, compassion uh, to do great work for customers, for humanity, um, but also uh, using the data, using reasoning um, and and doing this informed decision making as well so so that is uh, uh, another pillar another one is high purpose uh, i can't emphasize enough how important this purpose is and it's important that employees feel that their own individual purpose is aligned with organizational purpose so so it's the reason for existence reasons for existence for individual but also organizational purpose is a reason for existence of an organization. And then another one is values and how they're aligned. So individual values have to be aligned with organization values as well. And it's really, uh, the, the values would guide the behavior when nobody's looking. So it's really something that has to be embedded within organizational DNA. And um, examples of a few other pillars, aligning peoples and systems. So we can't get most of technology if there is no alignment with culture and, and people and the people that want to use that technology. For example, uh, self-organizations, um, caring ethos, learning and development. So, so these are uh, the, the key pillars that organizations need to have in place. And in order to help organizations to really put this in practice, um, I already mentioned at the beginning that all my work is about moving theory into action, uh, knowledge into practice. And we have also created a strategy board game that can help organizations to explore their own eight pillars and to decide on some specific strategies and actions they can take straight away to improve any of the, the pillars that may need improving. Vlaka, you beat me to it with the board game because I mentioned at the top of the show how with your previous work, you kind of created the the outline, and then with Humane Capital, you colored it in. But you really brought this book to life as well with that board game. Let's use that as a way to ask you what you're working on now, what's your next next project, where people can find you as well. And just a reminder to our show, to our listeners, this show is brought to you by Microsoft for Startups. And if you sign up to the InnovationShow.io newsletter, you can be in with a chance of winning books every week. We know from complexity theory that when we are pushed to the edge of the chaos, we become most creative and resourceful and innovative. And I went through one of such moments about 12 years ago when I, I created the management shift and then I approached and I used it and then I 
wrote a book late, a few years later. And at the beginning of this pandemic, I felt I was in a similar situation. I realized I'm not one of these people that would just catch up on Netflix when it all started. I, I know what my purpose is, and my purpose is to serve humanity and, and to make this world a better place. So I, I went inside and I contemplated, so what is my next step now? How can I help humanity to to get through these difficult uh, times as well? And I became, again, extremely creative and productive uh, since the lockdown. So I created a number of new masterclasses, which I'm going to launch in the autumn, uh, all around individual transformation, uh, organizational transformation, creating humane leaders, humane organizations, also uh, how to move strategy to action, and, and also about the humanity shift, how to help humanity navigate through this time. I've also created with my team a new e-learning system, which will be launched on the 8th of October in collaboration with the Academy of Executive Coaching, where I put a lot of my life's work around the management shift into e-learning platform for uh, experienced coaches to go through and then to learn about the management shift, to go through the management shift themselves, and then to learn how to help their clients, their leaders to go through the big shift, to go from level three to level four and help create extraordinary leaders that will create the ripples. So these are some of my new projects. And I have created, uh, for example, online consulting program, the post-pandemic shift using the management shift tools to help senior leadership teams to navigate through through these times and to, to become more humanized, to, to become more level four and create a very specific action plan that they need to take to become level four organization and so on. So I moved everything online. Uh, I created uh, several new models. One of them is the eight C's of humane leadership. So I went back to humane capital research and the management shift research. And I really dissected a level four or five in much more detail. And I asked myself, so what leaders really need to do now and what traits they need to exhibit right now in these challenging times? And I created one of the several new models, and, and this model is HCs of Humane Leadership. That model I will teach uh, within the Humane Recovery Masterclass, which will also be launched in autumn. So I have a material for another book, at least one book, but I decided I'm not going to write another book because it will take me several months to write it, six months to publish it. And by the time this new book is out, the whole world will change. It will be a new world again. So I decided to really act quickly to move everything online and from autumn to really start helping leaders and organizations to go through this big shift to really speed up recovery and not just survive, but to thrive in this new world that we can all co-create from level four or five mindset or consciousness. Vlatka, before we sign off, where can people find out more about your work, the game, your books, etc.? More information about the game uh, can be found on my uh, one of my website, themanagementship.com. My personal website is vladkachlupic.com. Uh, please do connect on LinkedIn, where I share all the latest 
blogs and articles to my uh, links to my articles um, so I can be contacted either from one of my websites or uh, through LinkedIn. Author of Humane Capital, How to Create a Management Shift to Transform Performance and Profit, Flatka Hupic, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Aidan, for inviting me.